Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on YouTube. you find the links in the podcast description. I've got four of the podcasts, the Meditation Podcast, Learn Polish, the Crypto, and the Awakening, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, as well as being a podcasting coach. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. And for those that are listening on Spotify, you'll also see the video there. Today, my guest, please welcome Gabe Derita. Did I pronounce the surname correctly? You nailed it. You nailed it. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you having me on. No, looking forward to this. So you might let the listeners know. Gabe. Yeah, so I'm an authentic relating coach and facilitator. And so I help teams and individuals align with what matters and fill their lives with purpose and meaning through being much more intentional with the way they're relating to their experience and each other. I love my work. And it does involve a lot of speaking and kind of running the front of the room for trainings and events. Okay, excellent. And I want to touch into your journey, but I want to go even a step further to your speaking journey where that began. Yeah, yeah. So could you refine the question? Which one do you want me to answer first? No, basically when you were younger or how you actually kind of overcame the fear of public speaking. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I don't know if your listeners would be familiar with the Enneagram. Uh, are you familiar with that at all? No, I haven't heard about it. No. It's it's essentially uh, another personality test, right? In the ilk of the Myers-Briggs and things like that. And um, there's an archetype in the Enneagram called the seven, which is the enthusiast. And it's it's a type of person who loves to share things that they think are cool. And I can remember even as a kid being like, hey, I found this interesting bug or a pine cone or something. Do you want to check it out? So I feel like I've always had this natural inclination to share. Um, and for me, I needed to recognize that that was something unique and special that I had a gift that I wanted to give the world. And it took uh, a long time to recognize that that wasn't other people's experiences. So I just assumed everybody else also wanted to share what mattered to them or what was exciting to them all the time. And I think to really step into my power as a coach and a speaker, I needed to recognize that that was something unique about me. And, and overcoming the fear of being in front of people uh, really required me to get in touch with that enthusiasm and that excitement instead of the nerves and the jitters and the natural fear of you know sounding silly or saying something off key. And just really staying with the part of me that felt it had something meaningful to share with the world and something exciting to give to the people in the room. And even now when I'm in front of a group, I, I try to center into that, that like whatever I'm sharing is something that matters to me because I'm not up in the front of the room if it's something that doesn't matter to me. I'm only speaking on things that I feel passionate about. And so I try to stay connected to that passion. Excellent. So I know that uh, you like cycling. So you might tell me the story about your cycling journey. Yeah, that was kind of what got me into this world was I, I sort of had a hard reset. Um, and I don't think everybody needs to go as dramatically as I did, but I I quit my job. I separated from a partner of eight years and moved onto my bicycle in 2018. Um, and I was working in the tech industry in San Francisco. So kind of the classic golden handcuff scenario, like you can never leave or you're ruined. And I sort of rolled the dice and <clears throat> knew that I needed to do something that was more purposeful and meaningful for me. And a lot of my work now is purpose alignment coaching. And that was kind of the process I initiated for myself when I moved onto my bike. But the thing about cycling for me that's most powerful, and especially living on a bike and touring that way, is you're, you're never a tourist. You're always in this immediate conversation with your surroundings. It's just this experience of perpetual intimacy with whatever's arising in the moment. Um, which is a really powerful place to live. 
And so whether the sun is shining or it's raining or you're flying down a mountain or you're going up a hill, you just have to be with that experience uh, really fully because when you're fighting it and resisting it, it can make the ride pretty miserable. Excellent. And where did you go? You went to a few countries doing this, yeah? Mm -hmm. So I started in the U.S. Uh, kind of riding down the West Coast, and then I rode through Appalachia on the kind of underground railroad route in the U.S., uh, which was part of where the border between the North and the South was during the Civil War. And there was a lot of like people escaping slavery in that area. And there's some really beautiful history uh, about my country in that part of the world. And then I went to Italy, which is where my family is from. So I'm Italian-American, hence the, the surname that you pronounce so gracefully. And uh, I rode from Rome to Zurich over the Alps because uh, the last tech company I worked for was actually a Swiss company. So I rode to my home office uh, from, from Rome and then took the bike down the Adriatic coast to through Croatia and Albania to Greece. And then I took it to Japan and rode around Japan for a month. And after that, I decided, all right, cool. Sent the bike back to California with a friend and continued on foot from there. Wow. And like, because it's something I've never even fathomed, like, but if you're even, because you obviously have a lot of gear with you to, you know, clothes and different things and different weather stuff. So, and I seen yeah. a picture so you could see the stuff on the back. So that's heavy enough. I mean, I don't know how many kilograms that you were actually carrying around, which I wasn't just cycling away. It was like you had a fair bit of weight. Yeah. I think at one point it was almost 40 kilograms. Ooh. Yeah. And Extra. what about if you were like, say, especially if you didn't know the area, you know, if you needed to go into a shop or something like that, because it's wanting locking your bike. But did it mean having to take everything off? I'm just curious of that kind of... <laughs> the logistics of that? Yeah, yeah so I, I usually wouldn't even lock the bike because it's so covered in gear and it's all dirty and muddy and it's heavy. It, I don't think it made an attractive target, especially because I was staying mostly to small towns and villages. I, I wouldn't go into major cities. Right. So I think the areas I was visiting people was more of a curiosity than uh, an opportunity for crime. And so I would just kind of roll up to a grocery store and lean it against the window. And by the time I'd come back out, somebody would be staring at it and ask me a bunch of questions and maybe offer to buy me a beer or a coffee. Uh, it was more of a conversation starter, I think. Brilliant. And kind of like on your journey, you must have been going into deep thought or, or was it something that you had music on and you were always doing or were you just being totally present? Yeah, me, myself, and I. Uh, <laughs> I think that was one of the gifts of the journey was so much time for solitude and reflection about uh, kind of where I had been in my life and where I wanted to go. Uh, and that was actually part of why I took the journey. And I had the gift of this Japanese concept called Ikigai. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually traveling around, like asking people, what's your Ikigai? And when I met people who had interesting lives or who really looked like they had it together. I was trying to draw inspiration from their journey to find out what I wanted next for myself. Um, and for your listeners who might not be familiar, uh, Ikigai has been adapted and westernized into these four quadrants of what you are good at, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you love. And I realized in my life, I was really only living for what I could be paid for. And I needed to do more of what I love and more of what the world needed. And so that journey was actually part of answering that question for myself. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that and really just kind of asking people I met along the journey what inspired and moved them to a life of meaning. So I had plenty to ponder <laughs> when I was riding. And most of the areas I visited were so beautiful that I really didn't, you know, I had so much coming into my senses from 
the the ride that I I had no lack of things to to really wonder at. And of all the different places you've been to, because I feel that sometimes when you go to somebody, you just feel the energy. It's just it's like you feel a calling. You you should be at this place. Where was the best place that you felt? Wow. Um, it was two, but I have to mention Albania first. Um, Albania truly blew me away because their their country has been, it had been on lockdown, right? It was part of the Iron Curtain until the late 90s. And people my age remember a time when it was more expensive to buy a Coca-Cola than a Kalashnikov. So people in that country have been cut off from the world for so long. And now it's an open country. It's a democracy. The tourism is alive in the, and, and, and the people in that country are so excited that you're there. So everywhere you went, you were like a minor celebrity and people were so happy that you were visiting because they could finally share their culture and their, and their country with you. And so the energy in Albania was unbelievable because people were so happy. Uh, they were the first generation that was living out of the uh, kind of this conditions of oppression that had been in the place for 40 or 50 years is coming to power. And so you have this real vivid sense of life in that country and, and the people are there so happy and so generous and i met some of the some of my favorite people from that journey i met in albania so that would be the place i have to to shout out first and japan would be a close second because japan is a country of magic um i think the the culture there is shinto culture and buddhism and just has this kind of magic quality to it uh, and even like the street signs are in anime in some places it's really funny and it was also the first place that i've been truly lost because as an English speaker, you can go pretty much everywhere in the world and find someone to ask for directions, except Japan. <laughs> so I was truly lost in Japan and it felt good. No, excellent. And I'd seen something in Japan where they had this the, the young students cleaning the school. They're just teaching them respect the whole time. And mm -hmm. everything is about you know, not to be attacked. They do so many beautiful things there. And it just, it just ripples through then in the, the society. Yeah. They're very culturally consistent in my experience from top to bottom. I mean, you won't see a, a piece of gum on the streets. It's really quiet by the time the sun goes down. There's art and, and animation like baked into even the, the manhole covers. Each town that I went to had their own design for the sewer drains and it was all beautifully done in enamel and color and i mean it was like an art piece and it was just the the manhole cover for the sewer drains wow yeah so, really inspiring brilliant so i know you're kind of into mushrooms as well so did that happen from your journey going around or where did that come from that was from a friend of mine in California, my neighbor who was a biologist. She brought over these cookies to a potluck I had once that were made with a mushroom called candy cap, which only grows on the coast of the Western United States from Oregon to mid California. And it smells and tastes like maple syrup, right? It's unreal. It's a dessert mushroom. And my whole house filled with the aroma of these amazing cookies from these mushrooms. And I told her, I was like, you gotta take me hunting with you. And <clears throat> it became an obsession. Uh, I kind of, I liken it to adult Pokemon hunting, right? Where you can kind of go out into the woods and look for these magical creatures and capture them and take them home and enrich your kitchen and your life with it. So mushrooms have been um, a part of my story for much longer than cycling. But of course, when I was on the bike, uh, I, I developed this motto, always be foraging. 
Um, for, for anyone who comes from the sales world, there's this legendary movie called Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And there's a scene at the beginning where Alec Baldwin is basically verbally abusing these new recruits to try to train them for this sales role. And he's like, sales is ABC, always be closing. And I quit my sales job and moved onto my bike and turned it to ABF, which is always be foraging. And so as I was riding around, I was looking for, for free food, basically, and just interacting with the environment around me in a deeper way. Again, to try to deepen that sense of intimacy and presence and like, what, what was I noticing? What was I paying attention to? Which is a skill that serves you brilliantly as a coach and a speaker. Like, what are you noticing? What are you taking in? That's what I was doing as I was riding around and looking for mushrooms on the ground. And I've heard that there's like incredible benefits from Maine, I think is one Lions. I don't know the Lions pronunciation Maine. of a lot of them, but you might yeah. just kind of touch on that because I think it's very important because I've heard that they're fantastic for people. Yeah, Lion's Mane uh, has some interesting properties. In several studies, it's shown to regenerate the myelin on your neurons. So that's what connects the dendrites between the, the neurons in your brain, those little webs. It, it reinforces the sheath on those. So they, they have some data that it increases memory and cognition support. Uh, and reishi has been used for thousands of years in Chinese medicine, and the West is just catching onto it. Uh, it's just a really powerful antioxidant, helps your kidneys and your liver. Uh, I'm far from an expert on the topic. I'm really just kind of an armchair mycologist. So, you know, there's tons of amazing uh, information out there on the benefit of these things, but they're, they're really fun to grow. They're really fun to harvest. And that's for me why I mostly do it. I just enjoy an excuse to be outside and interact with the forest around my home, uh, you know, and all the medical benefits come secondary for me. And I think like you, you do retreats as well, uh, regarding is it, is it connected with mushrooms or just a retreat in general? Uh, I'll do, I do both, uh, actually, uh, some of the, the workshops and retreats I do are really around these authentic relating tools and communication techniques to help people be better at relating to themselves and each other in their lives. And then a few of the retreats I run do involve the use of sacred and psychedelic mushrooms to help facilitate that process. So we may have a week-long experience where we're learning these practices and we're engaging with them together and maybe at the capstone at the end, uh, invite folks to take a small journey uh, to really kind of deepen and integrate the, the learning through using psychedelics to open up their experience uh, at a deeper level. And is it better, especially for those that haven't tried it, kind of microdosing first to just kind of, you know, put their toe in the water? Because I, mm. I like I know similar with kind of deep breath work, it can release traumas that you kind of perhaps suppress them or unaware of something that might have happened in childhood. It can. And in my experience, at least, you know, microdosing to test the waters, as you said, doesn't really uh, make, make those bigger journeys any less intense or scary because there's, there's really a nonlinear relationship between a, like a lower dose and a higher dose of psychedelic mushrooms. It's not like, you know, one beer is half of two beers. It doesn't really work like that. So <laughs> uh, I think, you know, if you're going to go in for a bigger journey and, and address some of that stuff, you have to prepare for it in other ways other than just taking smaller doses of your active mushroom because it's actually going to reduce your tolerance for it too. Uh, so that's not the approach I would take. I think the best way to do that would be to uh, really work with somebody who does integration coaching or find some community around it, either through online integration circles or through a local community, uh, really read up and, and do some research on what you want from that journey and, and seek support if you're concerned that something might arise that's going to be difficult to deal with. 
uh, because it can be really powerful uh, and it is a good idea not to do it alone and, and to find a supportive community and professionals to help with that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And with with the, the coaching, then I've, I see, I forget what they are. You've got CPCC and PCC. You might let me know yeah. what the different certifications are. Yeah, everybody loves a good obscure acronym, right? <laughs> Just put some fancy letters after you, maybe. you'll sound professional. <laughs> um, certified Professional Coactive Coach is CPCC. And that's from the Coactive Institute, which is based in San Rafael, California. And when I came back from that journey and knew I wanted to pursue coaching, because I, I felt like that was kind of that ikigai sweet spot for me, um, I wanted to look for the most rigorous and kind of highest bar I could find in the coaching field, because I knew there was also a lot of kind of BS in the space too. Uh, coaching is an unregulated field. I don't think it's going to stay that way, but you don't need the same level of training as a coach as you do to be a therapist. And so I wanted to operate with a high level of integrity. And I thought, where can I go to make sure that I'm getting the highest degree of training that I can, uh, the most rigorous process that I can. And I narrowed it down to about three organizations. Coactive was one of them. And so I chose to certify with them. It was a year long program. Uh, lots of peer review, lots of intense kind of listening to your own calls and having other people listen to them and tell you where you need to improve, which if you want to get good at speaking, record yourself <laughs> and listen to how you sound. I promise you it will be cringe, but there's no faster way to grow. Uh, so that's the CPCC. And then the PCC is from an international body called the ICF, which is the International Coach Federation. It's they basically the ethics and regulatory board for the coaching industry. Um, it's the meta organization that oversees and certifies training programs for coaches around the world. And their designation of professional certified coach um, is the second highest level of coaching certification you can receive. It's 500 paid one-on-one -on -one hours with clients and at least 250 hours of supervised approved training. And the only level higher than that is master certified coach, which I think is like 3000 hours of client time. So it's quite a jump uh, from PCC to MCC. And both of them must be very expensive if they're getting somebody that obviously is experienced that's coming in and supervising the calls or listing in on the calls. <clears throat> yeah. And a lot of the good organizations that offer training also require you to hire a coach who's trained in that methodology to do your own process as well. Um, and I think that's a really good idea for anybody who's interested in pursuing that work that you need to be actively doing your own work as well. Uh, I don't think you can take anybody farther than you've taken yourself. And I think that one of the beautiful side effects of coaching and being in this industry is that you're constantly called to do your own growth and improvement on yourself as you continue to develop professionally as well. So yeah, the, the training costs can rack up pretty quick because not only hiring a, a coach to support you in your growth, you're also working in this cohort model or you know whatever that program is doing at on-site trainings. Uh, and that's what I devoted kind of the last of my savings to when I got back to the States. I had, you know, just kind of skidded in sideways with a little bit of cash left after my trip. And I was like, okay, this is it. You know, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And and that's what I kind of invested in to start this next chapter in my life. All thanks to the foraging that you were able to keep some money. Yeah? <laughs> no, I, I actually, I didn't uh, really work when I traveled that much. I had the benefit of you know, good financial health. When I left, I was working in the tech industry in San Francisco in the 2010s. It was a lucrative place to be. Um, and so I had saved some money, 
But ultimately, I think less than people expect. I, I tell people that and they think I must be loaded, but I was living on my bike in Europe on like 10 or 11 euro a day for months, you know? So it's really, you're just eating cheese and bread and sleeping outside. It's it's not a very expensive trip. Brilliant. And like with the qualifications, because obviously we know that some people that do a weekend course or they just buy something online, but because they're internationally recognized, I assume that the payback is worth it because the proper clients, the ones that are willing to actually invest in themselves and realize that they're actually getting more professional coaches would turn to you rather than just doing a Google search. Yeah. I want to work with people who are really committed to transformation and that requires buy-in. You know what I mean? From a time, energy, money perspective, you're committing to real change. And so if you want to work with people who are at a higher level, that's what's required and I think that being part of a, a cohort and a, and a real peer community of other learners is helpful too. Because if you're just watching the videos, uh, you know, at a self-paced kind of course, you have nobody to tell you how you've integrated that information if nobody's reflecting back to you what they see. So I think that's one of the big benefits of doing a, a higher level certification program. And also the alumni network. Uh, that's honestly been one of the biggest drivers of my business growth, especially initially. Um, when you're trying to get referrals and you're trying to find opportunity to serve and do this work inside of organizations. I've had some of my best projects come through just the alumni community of the co-active coaches that I know, where they're already working inside of teams or organizations or consulting firms, and they want to bring in other people who they know the quality of their work because they've been trained in the same way. So I think that's an important consideration too for folks kind of looking out at that landscape and choosing which direction to go. Uh, that alumni community is really valuable. And certain organizations won't hire you unless you have some of those fancy letters after your name. So I don't see it as much in the one-on-one -on -one space, but definitely when you're working with teams and organizations, they'll require a certification. Okay, excellent. And with the authentic relating then for you know people kind of either speaking or communicating better that's something that you kind of work on as well yeah yeah i'm really glad you asked about that i was hoping we get a chance to to speak to it uh so this authentic relating practices they're one of the most useful frameworks i've found in my four years as a coach just kind of being obsessed with professional development right this is definitely one of the stickiest things i've found um, and there's five practices it's welcome everything assume nothing reveal your experience in your experience and honor self and other. And it can provide a little bit more color for each of those. A welcome everything doesn't mean you have to like what's happening. It just means you're able to be with it, right? So you're kind of welcoming what's arising just like me on that bike. I had to climb up that hill. It's like, all right, I better welcome that hill or I'm going to be having a hard time, right? Uh, assume nothing is a really tricky one because we're always making stories. We're always making meaning of our experience based on biases, judgments, previous experiences. And the trick here is to just notice, name, and drop those assumptions and be willing to meet the present as it is without those stories influencing your decisions and your thinking. Reveal your experience doesn't mean you need to tell everybody what you're thinking all the time. Um, it means you need to be honest with yourself about what's arising and kind of present to your needs in that moment. Right? So maybe you might notice part of you is annoyed with what someone said, but another part of you is curious about what you might have misunderstood and like leaning into that curious part and maybe speaking to that with 100% owned language, which just means that we're not blaming anybody for our response. We're taking responsibility for our choices um, and we're speaking unarguably, right? So in saying something like, I feel unheard instead of saying, you never listened to me. 
and you always and you never are things we say to each other all the time, these accusations that's never taking ownership, right? So just these subtle changes in language that really kind of bring us into the driver's seat is that part of own your experience. And then the final, honor self and other, is really where all these practices kind of meet. And it can be done beautifully with a really simple question, which is what's needed here? So what do I need and what do you need and where do those meet uh, is kind of that final layer of the practice. And those tools really have helped me in my life in transforming my relationships. And when you bring those to groups and teams, they really create a lot of space for common ground to emerge, especially around those assumptions and that asking what's needed. Um, they can be really, really powerful tools. Excellent. And say with clients then maybe perhaps business, but that are overworking, suffering from stress, I don't really have the ikage, is that how do you pronounce that Iki, word? Ikigai. Ikigai. That's my best attempt. Maybe there's another way. <laughs> you know, so there, there's a lot of people that are suffering. That they're always kind of missing something. You know, they, they could be they're excelling in, in business, but then they, the, the family suffers and they're not really. So what's the best way to do Because a lot of people actually, they know somebody like that or they could be that themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Seeking that balance. And I think that one of the most powerful ways I've found to recalibrate balance in my life and with my clients is really to get honest and clear with your values uh, and to take a hard look at like, what are the core values in your life and where are you out of misalignment and not honoring a value that's really important to you. And Ikigai can help with that. Those practices of authentic relating can help you kind of create behavior change around that to recalibrate and realign with maybe honoring self and other in a different way or really revealing your experience of being honest that, you know, this self-image you have of like the super busy CEO is maybe not serving you, right, as fully as it could. Um, but I really think getting a values inventory and using that to kind of recalibrate with where are you out of alignment, where do you need to maybe put a little more focus and attention and for most people, what do you need to give up, <laughs> right? I think most people think of goals as what do you need to get, but oftentimes a goal is what do you need to give up? Uh, and just kind of inverting that goal management process can give people a lot of clarity as well. Okay. And like you, you do workshops as well, obviously with the retreats, there's probably kind of even workshops built into the retreat. So mm -hmm. I just curious how you kind of organize yourself from that and making sure that you're connecting because everybody's got their own little way of doing things. And I'm, I'm curious how you're organizing yourself from. Are you, are you asking me about how I book them or how I run them? Well, I suppose book as well, because usually people don't talk, talk about the booking <clears throat> of the, the workshop. Yeah. So that's interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can speak to both. Um, I really like, like I said, I have this enthusiast in me, this sharer, this person who loves to kind of talk about the things that they think are exciting and interesting. And so I end up booking a lot of larger paid workshops just by running free small ones. Uh, so I'll find either like a co-working space or a community group or a professional interest group and offer them a free training. Say, hey, I have these cool skills and tools. Maybe it's about resolving conflict or building resilience or just being better humans to each other. And I'll run a little mini workshop. And then, you know, if anyone in the audience is moved or excited by it, they'll, they'll contact me to, to maybe do a bigger project around it. And I do those online and in person. And I found that that's led to a lot of really great opportunity for me because it's relationship-based. Uh, and that's really how I've built my business. I don't use a lot of social media. I try to meet people and share with them um, as a way to really drive connections and, and value. And when I'm in the workshops, I really like to keep it participant driven. So I'm a big fan of experiential learning and play. Um, I learned from some really smart behavioral science researchers that the brain actually 
learns better in the presence of dopamine. And dopamine is a chemical that we kind of floods our brain when we're enjoying something. And so if we're enjoying it, we're actually, it's actually stickier. The retention is higher. Uh, so I try to run my workshops as experiences of play and participant-driven learning where they're getting to try this stuff out um, in kind of like games, right? These little exercises that get people into these practices really quickly to try it out for themselves and experience what it's like to really focus on a drop-in assumption, for example. Um, so I try to keep it about, you know, 30% to me talking and 70% or more participants engaging with the material uh, and experiencing it in small groups and then debriefing and, and kind of having a conversation together about what emerged. Excellent. I also see, I'm not sure where I saw it on your website, whatever, goal whisperer. What's, what's a goal whisperer? <laughs> I just couldn't put life coach on my business card. It's like... <laughs> I can't take myself seriously. Nobody's going to take me seriously if I have life coach on my business card. So what can I put on here that really speaks to the essence of the process in a, in a fun way? So that's, that's what I came up with. It, it's what it feels like sometimes, a goal whispering. It's like you're helping people clarify what they want and getting the blocks out of the way. So yeah, in the same way, like, I don't know, Cesar Milan's the dog whisperer. I think a good life coach is a goal whisperer, right? You're, you're helping people unlock the code uh, and, and really get to where they want to go. So I just wanted, to, I also value humor Right. So I thought it would be a fun way to start a conversation right as playing out right here. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I just I just couldn't stand life coach on my business card. I was like, that's uh, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. And like what you mentioned about um, the workshops and actually doing the free, you know, whether they're virtual and getting the clients. So like you mentioned, you didn't really you're not really liking the social media. It's a question that I ask my guests because we're bombarded. And to be honest with you, I know I need to do it for the different podcasts, but it's a time suck. And you ended up getting, you get sidetracked, mm -hmm. you start going along with trade, and then you're going, what just happened the last hour? And, you know, I tried right. to just stay away as much as possible. So do you, yeah. is there any that you kind of use? I mean, LinkedIn or something like that, that you find that serve you? Yeah, I, I do use them, right? I'm not anti-social media, but you're right. You can get hijacked in there really easily and you go in with the best intentions to go in and promote your business and you're an hour later just scrolling through whatever. Um, and I, I, like you, don't love the experience of being on there and I try to use joy as a business strategy. Like if I enjoy doing it, I want to do more of it because it's going to keep me excited. Um, and I enjoy using Instagram. Uh, I think it's it's generally a nice platform. I don't love the Reels feature as much. Haven't gotten on board with that. Um, but I do like to, I like storytelling and I like visual storytelling. And so that's the platform I engage with the most. Um, it's kind of a mix of me as a human being and me as a coach. It's not a pure business platform. And, and I think that's part of why people like to work with me because they can see the human in the work as well. Um, so, and maybe a brand strategist would wag their finger at me and be like, no, you got to focus, you got to tighten it up. Um, but that's, I use LinkedIn and, and Instagram mostly. And I also write on a platform called Medium. Uh, so it's a little less social media, but it's more kind of like a blogging platform. And I really like the community there as well. Okay. And just because your story is very interesting, you know, how you kind of you know, packed in a very good job and, you know, inside and kind of found yourself basically. It, have you thought about writing a book on that? Because I think it would help a lot of people by actually, you know, seeing your journey. I, I have. And I've been asked that question by enough people that I need to take it seriously <laughs> at this point. Um, I just, I want to find a way to write that book that doesn't feel like a vanity project. I, I You know what I mean? It's not just a pure memoir. And I'm still trying to find the thread um, or the piece of it that's really um, 
compelling and relevant that would serve other people and would still allow me to kind of share my journey. So it's a work in progress. I think it's probably like a two-year goal for me of like, how do I formulate that in a way that would serve others and not just be the game show uh, is, is what I'm looking for there, that sweet spot. And then I think once I find that story, that thread, then I'd be stoked to write the book. Well, I think you're kind of authentic self and just you're kind of, you know, wanting to help and just realizing what's good. That in itself, that story, that whole journey, even if somebody, like sometimes people think, oh, it's kind of like a lead generation system and everything. But not everybody is, 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 can afford a coach. And some people will actually get a book. Even some people will get it free on a lot of system. And if it changes their life, and I, I know it would, you know, you just, because people, if the penny drops, you know, some, mm-hmm. it's someone's voice, how they do it. <clears throat> I've actually read on different websites that I saw from me, just the way that you're writing it. And I go, it, you would be a fantastic writer just by reading what you have on the website and just talking about you and the way it's done. It's just a lovely way, you know, because sometimes you're reading these things and you just kind of switch off. And you you go off, your, yeah. your brain goes off in a tangent, but that didn't happen, which means that you've got a skill set that you should actually use. Thanks, for I appreciate that reflection. And it reminds me of what uh, one of my early mentors said to me. I was kind of freaking out and saying, oh, I'm not good enough at this and I don't know how to do this and I can't help everybody. He's like, you don't have to help everybody. He's like, do you think there's one person out there that you can help? And I'm like, yes. He's like, then you have a moral obligation to go find and help that person. And I've used that moral obligation uh, to really drive me throughout my work. And, and I'm kind of hearing that and what you're saying here. It's like, even if someone gets a benefit from reading that they wouldn't get from listening to this podcast or hiring somebody to work with them, uh, then there's a moral obligation to to help that person. And I'll, I'll take that to heart. So thank you for the encouragement. Yeah, no problem. No problem. And uh, just uh, finally, uh, like with the coaching, because I, I know you kind of do uh, like a free coaching call, just did, I suppose, to find out whether you're a match and stuff like that. But you might just let me know the kind of onboarding process for those that, that might be uh, interested. Yeah, I love to speak to people about this work. I love to meet people who are in a process of transition and seeking transformation in their life. And so those first conversations are always free, no strings attached. Uh, They can find that link on my website, uh, effectiveconnection.com. There's a a link to book a call there. Uh, And I also, like I said, I use Instagram. My Instagram's a bit more mushroom themed, but it's uh, fun Gabe. I, again, I couldn't do fun guy. It was <laughs> too, too beat over. Uh, so fun Gabe with two N's, F-U-N-N-G-A-B-E uh, is my Instagram handle and effectiveconnection.com is my website. Uh, so folks can find me there and would be delighted to engage. Excellent. Totally enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much, Gabe. Thanks, Roy. It was a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. As mentioned, we're on BitChute YouTube. You'll find the links in the podcast description. You'll find my other podcasts along with the coaching bio.link forward slash podcaster. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five star rating, share with your friends. And as soon as this book is ready, I'll make sure I'll update the episode to put the book link as well. <laughs> Until next week, <laughs> take care. Thanks, Ryan. Right. Cheers.